everyone. Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are cooking up a banger episode for today. I'm, I'm like pretty pumped to get into this. Uh, but before we do, Ethan, how are you? How was your week? Good to see you as always. Likewise. Uh, and it was good, man. Thanks for asking. I am running on like two hours of sleep. Last night was weird. Um, I we are in the final stages of an on-site rally retreat at Hampton. <clears throat> so we've got a, a whole bunch of people flying into Texas to learn how to ride, uh, drive race cars. And uh, just been, you know, hammering on that, some content stuff. So we'll see how this episode goes. <laughs> are you driving a race car? Um, No, I think I'm going to try and do a ride along, but I'm kind of show running. Me and our community lead uh, are, you know, basically you show run. So you are... Yeah you kind of fit into the cracks between like when everybody's doing everything, which honestly, man, I like that better. Do you have this thing? I have this thing where it's like, I can work any event and I can talk to anybody if I'm working an event, but if I'm there as like a participant, it's less comfortable for me. So like, I love to be the person who's just kind of like the Italian grandmother. Who's like constantly in the kitchen as everyone's socializing or like the guy who's kind of running between different things at the conference. Um, that's my happy spot. And then, you know, I'll drop in and say, Hey, and then just have like a good reason to swoop out a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so funny that you mentioned that I went to my first ever event, my first ever conference this weekend. So I went to CEX and it was really cool. I flew into Cleveland. I was there for a day. I spoke at the event. Um, that went a lot better than well, actually, I, I thought I was going to do great. I know the material really well. It's just getting up on stage in front of people is nerve wracking for anybody if you never do it. I've spoken at other events before, but it's it's mostly been like behavioral health events. And this is creator online marketing stuff. And, and there was a lot more people there. But uh, I'm bringing that up for two reasons. One, because me and Chanel were making fun of you. And I can't wait to tell you uh. about, about how we were ragging on you. Um but also just because I, I, I had a great time, man. I, I, I really forced myself to go up to people and shake some hands and say hi. And uh, it's uncomfortable for me, but it was really fun, man. I, I, I met some really cool people and I went out to dinner with some cool people and I, I had a great time. But, uh, but yeah, man, we were ragging on you, Hawkward. <laughs> Uh, well, I, what I was saying is, uh, Chanel's a great researcher. So if she has things to make fun of me on, she's probably, they're probably accurate because <laughs> she, she oh, knows they're her stuff. Accurate, man. <laughs> oh, here's what she says. She says, why isn't Ethan here? And I'm like, oh, I don't think Ethan goes to stuff like that. She's like, yeah, he's just too cool. Yeah. He's just that cool guy. That oh, then that's definitely, that's definitely too accurate cool for events. Very accurate. So far, I'm not hearing yeah. anything that's wrong. Yeah, no, I uh, go on. You go. Well, I was just going to say, I I wanted to go to CEX. I, um, but we had, we, we've had this rally retreat on the calendar for months. So I knew it just wasn't going to work timing wise because it's, it was right there. But, uh, a lot of the people that I like look up to in the content space were there. Did you get to meet, uh, Alexis Grant while you were over there? I, I watched her. Um, she was one of two presentations that I actually watched and, uh, I mean, she was on the pod, so we knew a lot about what her message was. But even still, it was cool just to be there and to support her. And 
leave the review at the end of it where you say how much you appreciated her message. So I, I, I saw Alexis. I didn't actually get a chance to meet her because every time I would walk up to her, she had people around her. And I just hate when you're in a conversation and you're standing on the side sort of waiting for your permission to get in because people handle it one of two ways. They just stand there and are sort of weird or they just butt in. And they're like, hey, hey, and and I don't do either of those things. So I just like would book it. <laughs> That's exactly what I was talking about, man. I'm the same way. I am I am like a social introvert. So I love being around people. I like socializing and stuff like that. Uh, but I got to have that ability to like dip in and out. So. Um, all right, so then here's when it got really funny. Um me and Chanel, we, we all went out to dinner and then we were all at the same hotel. So we were hanging out at the lobby and uh, she says, so, so what's he doing? Can you text him? And I'm like, well, here's the thing with Ethan. I can text him, <laughs> but he's the kind of guy that'll send me a text message and it's something like really, really interesting. And so then I'll respond right back. And then four days later, <laughs> I'll get a reply from Ethan. This is like, oh, Sorry about that, man. My phone's been on the charger for the past five and a half days. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and it's so true, too. <laughs> yeah, guilty. Guilty is charged. I, um, yeah, guilty, man. That was funny. What did you, I can't even remember now what we talked about. But, oh, yeah, you, because you texted me and you're like, I'm with Chanel. And I forget when I saw it. I think I texted you back a couple hours later. That was just pretty, that's pretty quick. I was, you know. That was, was quick. Totally. That <laughs> was quick. And that's exactly what I was saying. That's when I was saying it. I was like, look, I'm going to text him, but you're never going to hear from him. <laughs> so. <laughs> that's very true. Anybody listening to this, if you don't hear from me, and by the way, I just learned recently that this is weird. So like, there's two things that I do that are apparently unacceptable in the modern era. And I, one I get, the other one I don't understand. So the first one is like, I'm awful at replying. I'll own that one. That's me. I hate it. I hate electronic communication in general. Um, in fact, I like, this was, it used to be a battle after I got my driver's license as a kid, or I guess as a, as a young man, uh, my parents kept trying to get me to carry a cell phone and I just hated it. So I didn't have a cell phone until I was like, 25 or something like that you know like yeah, it's the longest time um the other thing which i didn't realize is weird is i will end text conversations so like when we're having a conversation i'll be like okay uh talk to you later like I that's the sign off yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah apparently that's weird i just think it's considerate because people here's what i've learned about the modern era tim is People will just keep replying to you forever. Nothing ends. Yeah. And so I'm always like, well, you know, I want this person to know that they can like put the phone down and walk away. So I'll like, I'll be like, okay, cool. Well, I'll talk to you later. And then I uh, literally only recently have heard that like people get that and they're like, all right, I guess, you know, I guess I'll just go. <laughs> they're like, what's your problem, man? I, 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 here I am thinking I'm being like considerate. Apparently I'm just like pissing people off left and right. So. If you Amazing. don't hear back from me, don't read anything into it. It is Amazing. 100% a me thing. <laughs> that is so funny. All right. Well, um, let's move on to the story. In case anybody is wondering, when we say Chanel, we're referencing Chanel Basilio. You can check her 
dope ass newsletter and blog out at growthinreverse.com. I think it is. Let me make sure that's true. I, I'm almost that's positive. definitely yeah, the name of it. I don't know if it's the URL. It's, though. it's growth growthinreverse.com. She does these like epic 20,000 word posts reverse engineering how creators have built their audiences we talked about her before on the pod and she's she's just one of my favorite writers so go check her out it was really cool to hang out and it was so much fun to make fun of you man we were dying laughing i I had tears pouring down uh okay so let's let's get into the story today we are talking about a substack article that ethan and i both found it's on semianalysis.com And the article is a leaked document that was discovered, or maybe I should say handed over by an anonymous source. And the document was this employee who works at Google, who is admitting that Google is relatively defenseless. The the quote is, they have no moat. They have no moat, and neither does OpenAI on what AI is going to do for the search space, for the content space, for, well, geez, uh, insert space here, right? But but for the sake of this podcast, and really within the, the context of this article, this person speaking directly about Google and search and online marketing and the, the digital economy, for, for lack of a better word. So uh, we're going to get into this because this is fascinating i know that when we bring this stuff up people kind of start shuddering they get so nervous and and they feel like like they're not going to have a future in terms of of their work but i i don't see it that way and i think there's some really cool stuff in here that that we're going to dig dig into so what are your thoughts ethan when when you read this what were you thinking yeah so i actually when this came out i thought it was uh, sort of timely because there's a thing that I've been thinking through this week for myself um, as somebody in a sort of a content role and in a, uh, well, I guess just the content role. Um, I also feel like our moats are eroding. And so there's a whole huge conversation going on right now about the use of AI content in SEO and whether that's a good idea. I was thinking recently too about how, um, you know, obviously AI makes it possible to like mimic anybody's voice. Well, not anybody, but you can train models on different content creators that you like and effectively mimic them. Uh, If that's not super simple now, it will be soon. Um, You can also use it to effectively build anything you want. And the thing that occurred to me was really twofold. So on the one hand, these tools are making it like harder and harder to maintain any sort of differentiation in terms of the quality of your product. And the second thing that occurred to me is that there is something interesting that happens when tools like this make it so easy to copy anybody's product. Because while I think it's currently seen only as a huge advantage, what isn't being talked about as much is the fact that the reason the product is good these days, if you say build a really great software product or if you build really great content is because you have learned to think through what it takes to make great content or a great product. 
And that ability to think and to prioritize your way to a great outcome is really important. And we're entering a world where people who are outputting a lot of great stuff don't have the ability to think and prioritize necessarily because they don't need it because um, the AI removes the necessity to be able to do the hard work. And so I just thought it was interesting that, you know, at the same time as everyone's moats are eroding, there's this thing happening where like the underlying skill of being able to pick what you should actually focus on as a business is becoming more and more important. And so I guess um, we'll dig into the Google thing too in a minute, but I want to just go like one, one layer deeper here with this real quick. A lot of people listening to this know I'm currently working at a startup and we're in startup mode. It's a grind. There's a lot that needs to be done. And what I've always found in pretty much every role I've had is that like the most important or one of the most important things, I think speed to action is really important, but also you need to be able to prioritize. Mm -hmm. And one of the contributions that I've always brought to a team is my ability to do that. And I got that from learning to code. So learning to code forces you to learn to prioritize and to think through things systematically. And I was just thinking the other day, like what happens in a world where engineers don't actually need to, to go through that process anymore? What I think you're going to end up with potentially are companies where a lot of the technical hires don't have that fundamental skill of being able to think through systems. And that is what made me realize that that ability is, is going to be a bigger and bigger differentiator over time because when everything is possible and any company can take, you know, say just any shot they want, right? We could, we could build this feature, we could build this content, we could build whatever, this service. When it's all on the table and there's no differentiation, the only thing that really separates you is your ability to pick the right one, right? Because you, even if it's all possible, you can't do everything. There's limited, there's finite resources in a business and not everything is going to move the needle. So even if you do everything, uh, if you don't, if you don't like pick the right one, you're eventually, you're going to just run out of uh, rope before, before you see any kind of outcome. So I think this skill of being able to prioritize is like so, so much more important than it has been before. And I just thought it was really interesting to see Google come out with a similar I guess, realization or uh, start a similar conversation about how even their moat is eroding, right? Because I don't know, just imagine. You, that, you, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but within the last five minutes, the ideas that were going through your head, you actually touched all the individual thoughts that I was having when I read this as well. So for the sake of like organization of this podcast, let me let me take a step back and, and address a couple of things. The article itself, I'll, I'll read this. Like I said, the text below, this is quote, the text below is a very recent leaked document, which was shared by an anonymous individual on a public discord server who was granted permission for its republication. It originates from a researcher within Google and there's more, but I'll end the quote there. Um, we'll link this article in the show notes, but the the general idea of this article is that closed source business models are indefensible 
because the internet within itself is open source. And if AI is just one layer on top of the huge network that is the internet, there's no way that you can stop every single person contributing their individual node, however insignificant that node is going to be. Google, like the mighty Google can't stand up against everybody. You know, it'd be like an army trying to defend a, a, a swarm of bees that's like the size of a country, right? You just, it, it can't happen. And so Google is realizing that they have this opportunity. Well, maybe this engineer, I should say, is realizing that they have an opportunity to prioritize embracing the open source, as opposed to trying to own a piece of this AI content creation market, which in my view, and it sounds like in this researcher's view is an unwinnable battle. So that's the summary of this article. It's a pretty in-depth article. Um, there's a whole lot that I'm leaving out of it. Please read it for yourself. But the context that I grabbed for it is very, very similar to you. And the line that you used, which really stood out to me, is when everybody can do everything, then what do you do? And if I, I have my own thesis on this, and I, I have a, an experience that I actually had this week, which made, made me have a huge realization on it. But I'm going to pass this question back to you when everybody can do everything specifically to, to you and your priorities, what is it that you think is the right place to focus on or where's the right place to focus? That's a great question. I think it really comes down to what you're willing to say no to because the temptation will always be to do everything, to do as much as possible. The problem, yeah. and this is what this is essentially what Google's running into as well, is that doing as much as possible doesn't really allow you to stand out in a way that people are willing to pay for because everybody can do that. And so inside of this article, what they talk about, they're talking specifically about their language models and like whether or not people will pay for access to those. And they kind of say, they're like, why would they? You know, you could get the exact same thing anywhere else. And so when I think about what becomes more important when anybody can do anything is like, here's how I'm thinking about it for us. You need to be willing to say no, because like the things you say no to are going to help you outlast the people that compete against you who are not willing to say no to things, right? Because they're going to run out of time, energy, resources. Um, so I think, I think that's really important. The other thing is and i'm not really sure how this works for content yet but i think that you need to be thinking about taking your brand somewhere that other people can't or won't follow and the example that always stuck with me for this i used to when i was younger i did some time um just kind of like traveling around working on farms and like backpacking and i was living in hawaii on this farm and the guy who owned it was this really interesting sort of crazy modern day Ben Franklin type of guy. Um, he was one of, you know, like two people in the world who was the best known uh, innovators in the aquaponics space. And so the farm was like a research farm. We used to develop cool. all sorts of new pumps and systems for uh, building like high efficiency aquaponic uh, farms. And every night he would sit down and like drink, uh, rum and just talk for hours on end. Like the guy could talk for hours. And uh, one time he was telling stories about his time in Vietnam 
or actually I should take one step back. He was, he was uh, professionally trained as a photographer. So he went to photography school. And then when he got out, he realized the only way to really build a career in photography would be to go somewhere where nobody else would follow. So he joined the Marines and he became a combat photographer and uh, spent a lot of his time doing specifically like photo shoots that other people wouldn't try to replicate. So at one point he was strapped to an airdrop and he gave some like the only sh shots from Vietnam of what it looks like for a cargo to fly out of the back of, you know, one of those big airplanes or whatever, because he was literally just ratchet strapped to the cargo crate and then they shoved him out of an airplane. Um, and I always just thought that was such an interesting way of thinking about competition. It's like so many people try to do all the same things that their competitors are doing and they don't think about it through that lens of like, I'm going to go somewhere where everybody else is too scared to follow. But so many of the most effective uh, competitors, especially in content, do that. Like think about Vice as an example, which actually is a weird example because they literally just filed bankruptcy, um, but built their entire reputation on going to the places that nobody would go to, right? Uh, the hostel was kind of like that too early on, maybe like a little bit of a lighter version of Vice. And we've talked about this on the show before too, that one of the fastest ways to build a following is to be willing to say the things that you feel are true, but that nobody else will say. And so that's a roundabout way of saying that, like, I think when all these moats erode, the, the most important thing is, is be, is not, is like being willing to say no, but also take the game somewhere other people will not or cannot follow. And that's such a hard thing because right now, so much of what used to differentiate people is now followable. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I have two thoughts. One, I love that. Well, three thoughts if I'm going to start with a compliment. Very insightful. I love what that guy said. Go somewhere where they cannot or will not follow. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned, I think two weeks ago, I'm rereading Lynchpin. And I'm rereading Lynchpin because it became clear to me through this deal and through my experiences with building a membership site that over the last 10 years with the high level business I've been doing, I've been a little bit too in the numbers and too, I shouldn't even say in the numbers, I should say too on the sales. When I started Sober Nation, the only thing I cared about was building this community. And I just knew in my head that if I continue to do this, somehow the business will succeed. And knowing what I know now, I would have succeeded 10 times faster. But that was part of my journey. And regardless, the lesson that I learned there is that I have this indefensible community that I'm not even going to say you can't beat it. It's just you, you, you can't take it down. It's like the city of Philadelphia, right? Like they, they can all fight with each other, but like you can't, you can't take Philly down. They're all going to band together. And it's kind of like that. And so I'm, I'm rereading Lynchpin because I'm thinking to myself, I, this might be what I've been missing with the community is these ideas that I learned in Lynchpin, these ideas of there is no map, right? Everybody's looking for this, this uh, framework that they can follow. but when it comes to leading people, there is no framework. It's really just about, I'm going to draw a map because I think this is where we're going. And if you guys want to follow me, come along. And 
So there's a lot of ideas in Lynchpin, many of which are at the top of mind. But really, it was my wife that has been doing something over the last week that I just cannot stop thinking about. And so everything I just said with Lynchpin, everything that you just said with the go somewhere that people cannot or will not follow, put down a little bow and put it aside. After my wife has always been very much into fitness as a I. And after she had our kids, she has noticed the doctors treat pregnant women like they're tiny little birds that like can't work out and you have to be so careful and, and, and every, be really gentle and everybody can pick up the suitcases for you. And then after you've basically done nothing for nine months, you have to go through the most physically exhausting and physically traumatizing event that you're ever going to go through. It doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Like, how are we not training for this event? We do the exact opposite. And then what happens is you have a kid and then all of a sudden the official maternity leave, at least in the States, is three months. And now go back to work, start running, and you have no time to heal. So it's, it's exactly the opposite. What our system tells women to do is exactly the opposite of what you should do. You should be training up to the point and then give yourself longer to heal where we don't train up to the point and then we jump right back into life. And as such, she has been developing a community in my neighborhood in Sloan's Lake in, in Denver. And these moms have all had this real shared experience that only somebody that decides to step up and say like, I know what you're going through. I'm, I'm going to lead. Like I, I'm, I'm going to round us all together. And so now she's starting this, this mom's workout club right at Sloan's Lake where they're going to start meeting at the lake on the weekends and, and, and go through some of these exercises together that'll help heal moms after they've gone through this traumatic event. And I, I've just been thinking like that is so linchpin it's so linchpin. It's making yourself an indispensable part of a community that you can't train for, that you can't commoditize, that people just say like, yes, what you have, I feel that way too, and I will follow you. And so that's why, even though I said it before in passing about how I think community is going to be like even more important in the content game, that, that whole experience, in my view, opened my eyes even more because it's, no matter how smart AI gets, it's just, unless there's a cyborg, which I suppose is possible with how fast this is going, but there, I just, I don't see a way with that relatability and that person to person and the hugging each other at the park and seeing each other every Saturday or Sunday, I, I don't see how that gets replaced. And I think that the content that we're all looking for eventually leads to that anyway that's what people are looking for when they they look for content they they read it or they watch it or they listen to it and they say like ah yes i feel that way too and so i i think that's what the game is and i think that's what google can't do and that's what open ai can't do but that is in a weird way what open source can do because people are going to tinker around until they get these tools to to attempt to replicate that end result which is ah yes i feel that way too so that's where I'm going with it, which is exactly like all the things that you said at the same time, with, well, with just it, in different ways. That It's super interesting. And I think you're touching on something like uh, part of the article, which is worth highlighting here too, which is that the, so 
the end sort of conclusion of this person from Google is that they need to be thinking more like an open source project and mm. collaborating with open source people. And what we were talking about before we hit record was, okay, it's interesting that so many content-based companies are now facing a very similar challenge, right? Where AI is making it possible for people all over the world to come eat your lunch. If that's true, and the solution for Google is to think more like an open source company, what is the parallel for companies like ours? How how does something like Copyblogger or you know your your random agency who is leveraging SEO, how do they start thinking more like an open source community? Um, and you know, I had thought I I floated one idea by you, which I said I said like I wonder if wikis are going to come back, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's it. I don't know. It feels like there's this wall that I can't see through, which is like I feel very certain that. The, I mean, it's clear the content game is changing, right? More and more conversations in the founder groups that I'm part of are around people who are experimenting with uh, what they call auto-blogging now. There's like a term for it, uh, AI content gen, AI SEO, and they're producing huge amounts of content. So it's clear that something is going to change. No but marginal like, cost, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like I feel like I can't see through whatever the wall is to like how does that change the way people interact with Google because it can't stay the same. Nobody goes to Google to look up 47 versions of the exact same yeah. article that were all generated by by what? Somebody who doesn't know anything about the topic? Nobody's using Google for that purpose. So what what is it? What changes? I'm not sure. I don't have an answer, but I have a really interesting example of that wall you're talking about. It was on, oh, what was it? Maybe it was Mike Rowe's book that I read years ago. Can't remember exactly where it was. I think it has something to do with Mike Rowe, where they were talking about the Jetsons and the cartoon, the Jetsons, and how they predicted exactly what we're doing, basically, like talking through screens. And they predicted that the cars were basically hovercrafts and maybe that may or may not come true. But you know what's so interesting about the Jetsons is that the kids still brought their homework home on paper and they still asked their parents to sign permission slips because mm -hmm. there was a wall at that time where people just couldn't see through the fact that there was no need for kids to come home with pens and paper that you could do everything through tablets and emails. And so we're definitely at this place where there's no way to know what we don't know yet. Because for all the things that the Jetsons got right with their Zoom calls and their screen sharing and all the, the futuristic stuff, these damn kids were still walking around with pens and paper in their hand, right? And we would look at that now and be like, oh my gosh, do you remember when, I mean, even my parents used to tell me when I was typing away doing book reports that they had to write their entire book reports by hand. And yeah. that seems so unfathomable to me now. And now these kids are probably thinking, you, you have to bring paper home on folders and get permission slips signed by your parents, but there's just no way, there's a wall, right? It's, it's almost like, a, it's like the fog of war for technology. There's a, there's a fog of tech 
there's things that are going on in the peripheral that that we can't quite understand and and that's why i think it's important to admit that this is happening accept that this is happening and find a way to play in the sandbox because if not you're going to be you're going to be kodak that says there's no way these artisans are going to use digital photography the pics it's too pixelated it's not art they photographers appreciate what do they call it the the red room i can't remember exactly what it's called but sitting in that room and dipping it in that that liquid or whatever it is and yeah people do still appreciate that just like 10 years from now i'm still going to be writing stuff because i love to do it but you know i can have a a a, a film-based camera and i can have a digital camera at the same time so we just we we have to keep up with it yeah, I like that. And we should we should talk through some like favorite steps for keeping up with it because I think the exercises are becoming more and more important. Almost like we talk about copy work here. Um mm. it's important to like have a pretty good uh repeatable system because we were we were talking about this before you we recorded too. There's never going to be a point where it's convenient to just sit down and learn this stuff, you know? It moves too fast and it's in a lot of ways, I think the gap between the old technology and the new technology is too big that if you're not kind of tinkering with it every day, you wouldn't even suspect half the stuff is possible that can now be done. Um, so we should talk through some of the like really tactical ways that you're doing this. Like, how are you kind of keeping your hand in it? I'll, uh, I'll talk through me, how I'm doing it too. There's, but before we do, the paper and Zoom call example is so interesting to me. Isn't it? I always because, think about it. Okay. So what I take away from that is Google is my paper. Content marketing is my paper. And potentially what I'm not seeing is that this new technology doesn't just make that medium more competitive, it completely changes where the conversation even takes place. So if that's the case, then the way to think about this might not even be auto-blogging in the first place. It it's It's something else. It's figuring out what replaces search. Because if you think about it, a lot of these, what's really interesting about growth, it, and we've talked about this in the past, is that if you want to grow a website, all the traffic that you are going to win is currently out there somewhere on the internet already. And your job is to go find it and like peel it away. And um, a lot of what we consider to be growth tactics, like established growth tactics, didn't start out that way. They started off as places that people were sort of like, conversing and and the reason they were effective growth taxes because nobody was using them to grow so social media marketing twitter right nobody used twitter to grow a business five six seven years ago it was it, it was almost uh, it was it was like unheard of um same thing with seo seo has been around longer but people figured out that content was a good way of getting their company in front of people on search engines but it wasn't like search engines existed to 
surface your content. You know, it, there's like exactly. there's a, in, yeah, an inverse direction there. So, so if that's the case, what is the medium that is emerging right now where people are not using it to grow? They're using it to do something else. And people aren't thinking about it as a growth tactic, but, but it is going to be the thing that like potentially replaces search. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't see what replaces search quite yet, but what I do see it as is being everything becomes more and more personalized. And I'll tell you another observation that I made, which stuck with me, which is why this is getting a little deep, but it really is important to understand this. At least it was important for me to, to, un, to make this observation uh, and how it pertains to business and, and how in order to have a successful business in this world of AI, you, you still need to keep your bit of humanity and you still need to really appeal to emotions. And that realization was home, um, what do we call it? Like, like home computing, home networking. Because five years ago, the thought was your entire house is just connected to a computer and everything was going to be through voice and you could talk through Alexa and you could tell, you, you could just say something and then it would happen. You could control the heat, you can control your TV, you can control your garage door. But actually, what happened is voice, at least hasn't yet, become this omnipresent uh, interaction tool with technology. And the reason why is because people feel more comfortable having their individual phones hooked up to things. And I realized this when we, when we got Alexa. And my wife and I weren't even using it. We kept hooking up to the individual Bose pill, the, the speaker pills, because it was just easier to like the things that we like and then just to play them exactly how we want to play them, as opposed to sifting through this like giant network, which is all of the, let's call it like the, the group think that came into our house through, through the voice. And mm -hmm. so, so the garage door, is through our individual phones. The locks in our old house, we have a lock now because we rent, was personalized through us. And all of the, the, the things that we did was all still personalized. And by the way, it wasn't through Google Glass. It wasn't through AI. It wasn't even through augmented reality. It was still like, yeah, sure, this is, this is an extension of me. This is kind of like a chip in my brain, but it's also not because I can pick it up and I can touch it and I can feel it. And so, like I said, this is a little bit deep, but I think where we're going is that every single person becomes their own like individual ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so the content becomes more secular to me. The things that I read and the things that I enjoy become more and more secular and controlled to me. And so the scary part is, is you can obviously see this making the world more isolationist, but I think the opportunity is that the more and more we dive into our own digital uh, hyper convenient worlds, the more and more we're going to get 
drawn into this community because we're going to think, oh, everything is already done for me. Everybody, you said it so perfectly, when everybody can do everything, then what is it that you do? And I think we flock towards connection and we flock, to, well, maybe not flock, but we'll starve for it. And I think that connection really is going to be the big product that content companies can leverage. So there, there's my, there's my deep, deep mind staring at the stars, thinking about this shit way too often prediction about how the content game is going to change. Content becomes hyper, hyper individualized because we all get exactly what we want, exactly when we want it, but there's still going to be a personal connection, which is done through an interface at some point, but leads to the human connection we're looking for. I really hope I explained that right. Are you following me? Yeah, you definitely did. Um, it's So the thing I'm having a hard time with is not your explanation. It's this, there is something about this that is different. It makes me feel different than I'm used to feeling. I usually feel, and this, you know, this is partly why I was good at trends, is that I usually feel like I have a pretty good idea of how large groups of people are going to react to certain things. And that has been helpful at different points in my career. I really love the phrase that Ray Dalio uses where he's like, I tend to be right, but early. I feel like maybe this is just, you know, just like a survivorship bias or something, but I really feel like I've been there myself. Like it feels like, and this is bringing it full circle to the whole systematic thinking that comes from being an engineer. You look at systems in terms of, you know, like what are the knock-on effects of each individual thing? And I've always, or I guess like for a long time, I felt like I had a really good grasp on that. And for this one, it's like, I can see one step ahead and then nothing. And it's like, I don't have whiskers anymore. It's so weird in that way. But and part of that comes from the fact that it's so disruptive. The other part of it just comes from the fact that it's moving so fast. I don't feel like I've had time to think through it at all. So I, yeah, it is. And so here's kind of how, um, like, I don't have any better advice than this, which is still not that great. But what I have been trying to do, I, I talked about this once before, is I really like this framework of try to save 30 to 60 minutes a day using AI. Um, and then specifically what I'm doing is each time I have a task at hand, if it feels like something that AI might be useful for, I will go to uh, that directory. There's an AI for that and search for it. Is that and, the website? There's an AI for that? Let me make sure I've got the exact. There's, we'll link it up in the show notes too, but um, yeah. There's an AI for that.com. And it's basically, maybe I just answered my own question too. Maybe this is just what replaces search. And each person comes here to try and find the solution to their problems. And then if you own whatever the model is that like solves people's problems, that's how you get your stuff in front of people. I don't know if I, if I just answered my own question there. Um, but I will search this. It's a huge directory of all these different tools for all sorts of different uh, applications and see if I can find the like something to experiment with to solve the problem. That 
is like slow, but I feel like it's keeping me in the game in a way that I will never do if I just try to sit down and like learn AI. Um, The other thing, and it's related to that, is this has been really, really important. I'm trying to internalize the idea that I don't do things three times. So like once, fine, I will do it manually. Twice, now I've flagged this as something I probably have to systematize and or solve with AI. Mm. But three times, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically starting to document how it's done and ideally inject some AI tool into that documentation. Say so like, oh, well, you know, rather than like writing this whole big thing, we copy, paste, drop in, ChatGPT, summarize, whatever, right? But I don't do things three times. And I think that's kind of forcing me to think through this in a more practical way. It's cool. I'm just reading and tinkering. That's that's as far as I've gotten with it. I'm still not totally sold on the idea that people's audiences are gonna go away because we have shared experiences and and following other people's experiences. I, I think like I'm still gonna watch Casey Neistat videos, even if an AI can make it just look like Casey Neistat, because I'm gonna know that Casey actually did this. And, and I think that's just gonna play a role. And I don't know why I think that. I just do. I, I guess I think it because of my own personal experience. Like in my head, I think if you gave me 10 videos and they were all in the same format, I'm still going to pick, I'm, I'm going to ask, well, which one did Casey actually do? And then yeah. I'm going to publish that. So I don't think like individual followings are going to, or excuse me, I said publish. I'm still going to watch that one. So I don't think those individual followings are going to go anywhere. I think it's just, I think people are going to freak out. <laughs> like, I really do. I think people are going to freak out. I, I, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of, I don't think that standardized jobs are going to do pretty well over the next 10 years. And so Mm. I think what will happen is like individually, different people are going to know how to use these tools in different ways. And now you have a landscape of probably 4 billion people over the next 10 years, probably 10 years from now, there'll be like 4 billion-ish people that it's like saying there's about 4 billion people that know how to use social media, right? Where back then it was always, Oh, how do you use this? I don't know how to use it. Now you just know how to use it. Right. So 10 years from now, there'll be 4 billion people or so that just know how to use this stuff, but not everyone's going to know how to use it exactly the same. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to think like my, what's the thing that Naval says, your, your personal personal something like the things that you can do and only the ways that you know how to do them only because you are you right I'm, I'm trying to think like how do these tools make that happen how do these tools create the thing that like only I can make even using these tools simply because I'm the only one that is me and I think that's the opportunity is to go all in on yourself there's nothing else to do man how our tune has changed on this over the last couple of months, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't, yeah, but we it knew hasn't, it was it coming here. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And, and like, people hate this word. <laughs> Sam said this before. He's like the N word. 
nuance. Uh, mm. I feel like for a while we've been saying that there's like, what have we been saying? What is the big takeaway here, man? The big takeaway, which has been the takeaway for the last couple of weeks, is like this is definitely going to be top of mind for people. And I almost feel like we were talking about this too. We're going to have to stop doing full episodes on AI because it's so it's so all-encompassing. It's just going to be part of the game moving forward. Yeah. Um, but what is, the, what is the other major takeaway? The other major takeaway is tinker. You should be tinkering. I'm, there's a thing about this Google article too that – drives this point home for me up top the engineer who wrote this is basically listing out a couple of things people are doing and he's basically making this argument of like why google's position is untenable and he says for example um things we consider quote major open problems are solved in people's hands today just to name a few and then he says, like, LLMs, large language models, on a phone. People are running foundation models on a Pixel 6 at five tokens per second. I don't know what that means. Scalable personal AI. You can fine-tune a personalized AI on your laptop in an evening. Um, multimodality. The current multimodal – actually, I don't know anything about what that means. But <laughs> let's just take the first two, where people are building AIs on their cell phones and on their personal laptops. When I read that, what I realize is, like, even among the people who are willing to adopt this now, there's still a huge spectrum of capability. And yeah. I'm not sure where the sweet spot on that is yet, but it's, but you definitely got to be on there somewhere. Here's one more thing I was thinking about. And this is, I'm just, I guess this episode is just going to be kind of like a, a, a random hodgepodge of ideas related to how this changes business. But if, to, if you want to tie this back in with that concept of going where people can't or won't follow, I really think there's something to applying these technologies to like the industries that you think will be the last to adopt them, right? You won't have a moat per se, but there's a level of arbitrage that's available. Let me simplify this. Everybody in our world is talking about AI. SEO, AI content gen, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that's happening in construction management? No. Uh, maybe construction management because that's a big industry. But And this is probably a, a good place to wrap it up on because, because we are in this every day yep. and the vast majority of people still have no idea what's happening. They. Yep. They hear about it on the news. They say they see Elon on Bill Maher YouTube clips talk about how we should regulate it. But other than that, they don't see the practical applications of it. And so, and so we have a long ways to go, but it's coming. And so I, I, what, what you said, what's the, the wrap up here? I think it's the, there's a wrap up, which I think we could actually close on this because it's something that I think about a lot. Every time new technology comes around, the first thing people think is all of our jobs are going away. But mm -hmm. every time, basically without fail, technology doesn't take jobs away. It changes jobs, but it increases productivity, which then creates more opportunity. This is always how it works. Technology is remove the need for a certain type of jobs, but then the productivity that they create 
actually creates abundance for everybody. And so, yeah, sure, you could say that this is different, but people have been saying that this is different forever, ever since the wheel was made, probably. And so, and so I, I just encourage everybody to try your best to keep an open mind about it and see ways that you can participate in that abundance mindset. And, and with that being said, bro, I guess you just walked yep. in my door. It sounds like the producer's there. The producer <laughs> shutting us down. <laughs> can I give people one more thing? Because you just reminded me of something. And this is a book you can go listen to if you're interested in it. Um, I'm listening to this thing right now, The Empire of the Summer Moon. Have you ever heard of it? No. It's about the rise of the Comanche tribes. And what's so interesting oh. about it is that the tribe, that uh, the Comanche, and I never knew this, was like one of the most successful war fighting tribes in the American West. And the groups of people who eventually became the Comanche were essentially like the inferior tribe for a long time until horses emerged on the continent. And then they mastered the horse in a way that no other group ever did. And it made them the dominant force across an enormous landscape. And so when I heard that, and the, the book is fantastic for people who are interested, go check it out. But um it made me wonder, like, who's the group going to be that just flocks to this new thing that no one's paying attention to right now, but is going to be the dominant player of the next era because they gravitated to this and learned it in a way that nobody else could. I don't have an answer yeah. to that yet, but it was super interesting. And in the book, they do a really great job of just laying out what an enormous, enormous advantage horses gave this group nobody mastered them the way that they did and it was a game changer so i think this is a, we're at a similar inflection point horses have been let loose on the continent man and you got to figure out <laughs> got to figure out where you stand um all right i think that's it for us i am gonna let everyone go goodbye see you later <laughs> <laughs> i give you permission Stop yeah. texting me. <laughs> Talk to you next time. You can turn off the podcast now. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. All right, everyone. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you next week.